This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle, joined by my co-host, Brian Solomon. Brian, happy holidays. I've got my happy warrior ugly sweater. <laughs> oh, yours. Sorry, I stepped on that. Yes, you do have your, your ultimate warrior ugly sweater. I just have a plain <laughs> old sweater. Uh, yeah, I, I really need to invest in some of those. I'm, I'm not on the ugly sweater bandwagon as of right now. Yes, I got a few. I have two of these. My wife, all my Ultimate Warrior, lest everybody think I'm buying myself Ultimate Warrior stuff, it's my wife. But I do appreciate it. And I imagine more is on the way in just a couple of days. Um, <laughs> we are here in uh, the, the holiday season, the Christmas season. I imagine this is going to be the last uh, episode of the year. So we intend to kind of look back on what I think was a really eventful 2023. Also look ahead um, to 2024, weave in some current events, and there's certainly some some big news even here, very um, late in the year, uh, with the talk of maybe uh, some negotiations negotiations between WWE and uh, Warner Brothers Discovery for uh, a Raw TV deal, which would be just seismic um, in in terms of like the the, uh, the repercussions of that. Uh, we'll deal with that all. Plus. Part two of my interview with a former PWI uh, writer and editor, uh, Bob Smith. Uh, we spoke a long time, so we split it up into uh, uh, two parts. And I actually got to talk to him again this past week um, for his podcast, which is going to drop s- uh, soon, uh, called The Outdated Wrestling Podcast. Um, what a great guy. Bob loves you. He can't stop raving about you. And <laughs> I know. He's on my payroll. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think we there is a common thread among among the three of us in terms of like um, embracing the past, also I think embracing uh, the present. I mean, Bob definitely yeah. gets that um, as well. So uh, stay tuned. Um, let me tell you first about the current issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, featuring Tony Storm on the cover, Brian's hot seat interview with. You know, I was putting together um, with Harry. We always do the top ten stories of uh, the year and. Uh, one of them uh, that that I touched on was about kind of like hot breakout acts in in 2023, and I think Tony Storm is is right near the top, right? I do, I definitely do. I think it's it's one of the things that not to turn everything into a critical thing for AEW, but it's one of the things that they're getting right, and um, she's a great example. And you know what? I think Roderick Strong is too. She's a great example of somebody who positioning wise, character wise. Um, actually benefited by leaving WWE and going to AEW. You know, she's in a better place. She's doing great. I mean, from the beginning of when they gave her this thing, she is just a natural. And I'm not just saying that because I got to know her when we did the interview, but she really is. Not everybody could have pulled this off, really, and she is doing it. But isn't there some irony there that what got her, because she didn't arrive in AEW yesterday, right? I mean, what got her over in AEW was the the kind of of character work that you typically see in WWE, which actually and and that's true, and it's the same. You can say the same for Roderick Strong because he right? totally. That's not. Um, it's almost like well, it's almost like AEW's 
can le- maybe learn more from WWE than they think. Not saying that they just want to turn into WWE, but it doesn't hurt to uh, sometimes lean into some of the more entertainment-related aspects of modern pro wrestling. Yeah. Well, you can read more uh, with uh, from Brian to interview with uh, Tony in this, the, what is this, the January issue, I think? Might be even later than that. March issue. March. PWI. Also in here, the fourth annual Tag Team 100 list uh, features on the return of uh, TNA. Um, the um, What else is in here? I know there is a story about the uh, the Pan-African Diaspora title finally changing hands. I have a I have a column on the Von Erichs in there, which is timed for the for the Iron Claw this month. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. Or, 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 what, when, have you seen it? I mean, you got one of these advanced screenings. I hope to see it tomorrow. I am. Pl- I would have liked to have seen it tomorrow, but with all the because um, we're recording this on the 21st, with all the Christmas planning and things that we're doing, it's just I think going to be hard to fit in. So I think I have it planned for the day after. I'm going to do it on on Boxing Day, December yeah. 26th. We're going to finally check it out because because my wife wants to come with me on this one. Which oh yeah, know. I want to take the whole family to this one too. I mean, they're not that interested, but but the Von Eric <laughs> story has always been like one of these amazing wrestling stories that that I've regurgitated a million times over the years. And and what's crazy, and, and I don't want to uh, give any spoilers. I don't think this is a spoiler. This is out there, but. You know the the tragedy of the Von Erichs is so great that they couldn't fit it all in, into this movie, and they, they actually like el- eliminated a whole Von Erich death. Which, well, not just know. a death, Al. They eliminated the whole person, which makes yeah. me a little sad. Chris Von Erich just doesn't exist in this version of the Von yeah, Erich family. You know, far be it for me to you know judge somebody else's creative process and i've you know never written a, a movie so i i get that you you've got a, a you know condensing one person's life into a movie is a lot condensing uh the story of uh is it five it's six brothers isn't it i mean if you count yes jackie because that who is right who is J- jack jr he, yeah. he, Jack Jr. died as a as a little boy, so he never, yeah. you know, yeah. he died in the fifties. It was like not even. Right. I think he was the oldest one. And they, they, I think they do touch on it, um, yes. but it is a lot to get into a reasonable sized movie. And I get it, it. It speaks to the tragedy of the Von Erichs that it almost becomes like repetitive, right? Like, oh, just an, another Von Erich killing himself, you know. Um, but right. it, but that really that's what happened, you know. And and, and I. I yeah, think I they well because the way that Chris died was very similar to the way that Kerry died, and it's almost mm-hmm. like what Kerry did was kind of like a copycat of what Chris did, you know, because partly because he was so depressed about what Chris had done because Chris was like the baby of the group, yeah. And and I think maybe from a narrative point of view, they just felt like it was too much, it was redundant or too much to handle. But the the thing that makes me so sad, and I think and I think the movie looks great, and I have no doubt I'm going to love it. It almost hurts like the the goodwill with yeah. wrestling fans when you do something like that. Not that they have to care about wrestling fans. I mean, they're trying to sell this movie to a wide audience. But Chris is such a sad figure because all he ever wanted was to be a Von Eric, and he wasn't physically gifted like the other ones. He was little, he was kind of sickly. And the whole story of his life is that he never quite fit in and he couldn't be one of them. And now they make a movie about the family and they don't even include him in the movie. Like there's just, it's like crushing to yeah. think about. Yeah. And again, I not, not to judge, but, but I'm surprised. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much say uh, Kevin or, or the the remaining Von Eric family had um, with this story. I mean, I imagine they own the rights to it. Uh, but I, I get it. You know, I've heard the director talk about how be- because there was some overlap also between Mike and Chris's um, story that, that yeah. both were kind of a little bit awkward, didn't live up to um, the, the, the reputations of their older brothers, that they kind of consolidated the two stories. Uh, but but nevertheless, that's the thing with biopics is that like inevitably, you know, you're not just judging it as a story; you're comparing it to to um, the actual story. I remember doing that with um, the Freddie Mercury story years ago, which on its own was a really good movie and a really good story. But you can't help but watch and be like, "That's not how that happened," or "That didn't happen <laughs> there." Then you know, right. and they they kind of move things around. And um, well, I don't know, I, on one hand, it, it's like I get like trying to tell the best story possible, but also. You know, the idea of even doing a biopic is that this story, the actual story, is supposed to be compelling enough. Right. And I and I know I know we didn't even plan to talk about the Von Eric movie about the Iron Claw, but there's one thing I want to say about that. And I haven't seen the movie yet as of now. Probably I think maybe by the time this comes out, I may have, but I'm already seeing, you know, people that are with the wrestling fan audience, especially the people that know the Von Erics and stuff, there's kind of this unrealistic expectation, and it's like you know, if you want to learn about the, if you want to learn about the Von Erics or learn about the facts of their story and everything, there's documentaries out there. There's good ones. That's what a documentary is for. That is not what a movie is for. I have people complaining. Well, I don't, I, I, you know, I saw it and I didn't really learn anything new that I didn't know already about the Von Erics. Well, this movie is not, um, uh, <laughs> this is a dramatic fictionalized yeah. film. It's not there to educate you. It's there to entertain you and tell, tell a compelling story. And the, or people saying, well, you know, this isn't, you know, the sportatorium didn't look like this, and Michael Hayes didn't wear those kind of trunks and the yeah. like, like, you know, this is not. They're not making this movie for the four hundred people who, 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 you know, were watching world class wrestling that are still alive in, you know, forty years later. They can't do that. They, the movie, they just have to tell the best story they can tell, as without just outright uh, throwing the truth out the window, obviously. And the or or just you know dumping on it or disrespecting it. The Chris Von Eric thing to me comes the closest to doing that, but I haven't seen the movie, so I can't really judge it till I see it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean it. it it's cool to see uh, pro wrestling on this kind of you know the reality is, but for the wrestler and maybe a couple others, you know, there haven't been a lot of sort of serious wrestling movies. No, so I'm glad to see one. One that that maybe it's going to get some some Oscar buzz uh, even. So, uh, yeah, looking forward uh, to seeing it. Um, and you mentioned that was in your column in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Pick it up now, pwa-online.com. There's still time. Um, we're here in the holiday season to uh, pick up subscription for the wrestling fan uh, in your life. Um, you can have a, a digital subscription, a print subscription, a combination uh, now. Um, either way, you straight save a lot off of the cover price. Also over at PWI-Online, there's all kinds of gift ideas in terms of uh, uh, back issues. We've got historic issues. We've got merch. We've got, got all kinds of stuff. Um, so uh, whether for yourself or, again, for the uh, the wrestling fan in your life, head on over to PWI-Online.com. We're also wrapping up the uh, big year in wrestling uh, issue now. Again, I'm, I'm working with Harry on the top 10 stories. We're uh, tallying up votes for the awards. It should be an interesting one. Uh, so don't miss any of it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about a, a 2023, uh, uh, Brian. Um, you know, w- like like with all things, you you need some uh, sometimes some time, some distance to really appreciate like 
the the historical significance of um, a year, but it feels like 2023 was pretty significant when you, when you talk about, especially on WWE's end, like those boom periods, right? And again, I, I don't know that when we were, I guess you when we were in 96, 97, you, you did feel it coming with, with um, uh, WWE and the Attitude Era and Steve Austin and all that. Um, but I think it's the first time since then, and it's been kind of slow building, but but this really felt like a year where where WWE, um, you know, moved into uh, another era, and, and part of that is is technically because of, of the change in, in ownership with with TKO, and and this is not a company owned by the by the McMahon family anymore, which in and of itself is such a an insane story, um, but but also because for the first time in a while we've had something of competition, you know, the return of competition with AEW now around for for four years, and. It was never neck and neck, but it felt like more of uh, a real uh, race for a while. And this felt in, in some ways like the year that they they pulled away somewhat. Um, and um, the metrics, you know, that was one of the stories I was writing for the top 10 stories. I, uh, the last day or two, digging into WWE metrics. And they're great. I mean, this was just a super successful year for for WWE. Again, part of it, I think, is the, 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 the restructuring. Um, and, uh, part of it is, I think a, a lot of, and this is what you want out of wrestling. A lot of acts really clicked this year, whether it was, you know, Roman's been the anchor for a while. And in some ways there's a little bit of an off year for, for Roman, especially mm -hmm. after WrestleMania. I don't think he was the, the force that he was the last couple of years, but Roman was instrumental, I think in, in helping getting other guys over. And that's the idea. And you think about guys like Cody Rhodes and, uh, LA Knight. Judgment Day. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting a bunch of, uh, of people, um, but but a lot of acts really took off. I mean, WWE is uh, here at the end of 2023, a really fun, really exciting product to watch. Yeah, and this is different from other boom periods, and I think it really does speak to um, just kind of the organic success because. Um, if you look at the other two really big periods that the company's had, especially since, you know, Vince owned it and everything, the mid 80s, the late 90s, right? There was a drastic change in the product, like almost to unrecognizable levels. Like if you look at WWF in 1983 and in 1985, they're like two totally different companies. And if you look at WWE in <clears throat> 1996 and 1998, two totally different companies. I feel like there hasn't been that kind of seismic change if you're just watching the show like the wwf of 10 years ago appearance wise production wise tone wise is not dramatically different from the wwe of today i think it's just a case of things are working now it's like they haven't re i mean they've remade the company from behind the scenes point of view but they haven't totally rebuilt the product from the ground up it's just that now they have some acts and storylines and things that are connecting and clicking uh, whereas maybe in past years they didn't as much. So it's a much simpler road to success. Although I think as part of that, I wouldn't say that this period right now, it's not as hot as either of those last two periods were for that reason that it's still, you know, recognizably the WWE of, of, of some years ago, but there's no doubt that they're, you know, they're clicking right now. They have a product that people want to see, it's becoming harder and harder for the people that love to criticize them to criticize them because of all those kind of things. And also want to say too, as far as like bringing up new acts and things that is so 
crucial and key. Like, I don't think that shouldn't be the only thing you try to do. I mean, sometimes a champion's got to win all the time, like we see with Roman Reigns, or a top face has to win all the time. But they are always on the lookout, and I think that might be a Paul Avec thing for making sure you have people coming up from, you know, from behind to take the place. Like right now, and I never thought I'd, you'd see this, Judgment Day is great, and they always have been great from the beginning, but I think they're, I don't, I don't even think this is an opinion. I think they're a hotter act right now than the Bloodline. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And, and, and um, you know, a, a line in one of my top 10 stories dealt with that, and I, I was mentioning Judgment Day, and, and um, you know, I, I wanted to call him the the hottest faction of 2023, but I sort of took a pause and I'm like, well, would this be okay to say? And I and I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like um, certainly for the second half of, of 2023 and even more than that, I mean, really, you know, post WrestleMania bloodline and that's kind of storyline driven fell apart. And, and I'm not, not even saying it, it was a bad thing because ultimately it might've been the best thing for Jey Uso, another act that emerged in, in 2023 as um a, a top guy wwe's got like a lot of you know top talent that wasn't there or, or wasn't even if they were there they weren't in the positions that they're at now um even a, a year or two ago so Gunther, yeah i mean it, gunther's another great example Gunther, absolutely yeah i mean setting the intercontinental title uh record uh this year i just got a a, a new pair uh, of glasses and and i feel like my vision is is basically fine or i thought it was but then you put on the glasses and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. like it could be so much better. And I feel like that's sort of been the difference with WWE. You know, you, you touched on it. It, it hasn't been um, some huge transformation, you know, like the the kind of thing we'd, we'd see in like the Vince, you know, when Vince Russo went over to WCW where it was a total reboot or, or anything like that. They haven't done that at all. It's just kind of bringing everything into focus a little bit, getting a rid, rid of some of the bad habits, focusing on, on what works. And it just makes it, it's not that raw or smacked on any given week is like this incredible must see uh, television, but it's just it it's watchable. It's, it's a entertaining. Good watch. yeah. yeah, I mean it 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 it's um it's a pleasure to watch. You know, Dom Mysterio has been fantastic. The uh, uh, Ray Mysterio has been uh, a, a lot of fun. You know, Randy Orton comes back with um, some energy and some momentum. Drew McIntyre is is doing great work. Um, yes, you know, you, you think about early in the year, how hot Sami Zayn was, you know, that that's obviously cooled down. The, you know, the, the, the Zayn Owens act um, and, and the main event of a night one of WrestleMania. Uh, and I could go on and on and on. There, there are so many terrific acts in WWE and, and not a whole lot of bad ones. Right. I mean, I think that's the even like acts that, you know, historically, you know, like a Miz, even Miz is doing good work. It feels oh, like God. everybody's kind yeah. of bringing their A game. You know? He has been. Yeah. The, the stuff he's been doing with Gunther. I mean, people are not that, it, you know, matches are very important too. And he's been having some of the best matches of his career with, with, with Gunther. I think it's safe to say. And it's like, you know, I always say this and this is bearing it out too. Um, if you have a solid amount of really over acts and story, like a, a few really good ones, it carries everything else, you know, not everybody needs to be uh, doing remarkable work. You know what I mean? Like a lot of it, a lot of it is the, the high tide carries all boats or whatever, however that goes. And that's what's happening right now in WWE. They have enough really solid things going on, different things that um, that it, it it makes the entire company look good and makes the product look good and makes people want to watch it. Yeah. What, what do you think the ceiling is here? I mean, when you think about those those boon periods, 
um, in in um, the 80s and in the 90s, like there was this clear trajectory where it was growing and growing. And you felt like there was this momentum. Um, do, does it does it feel like we're still kind of on, on the low end of this wave that, that is cresting up? Does it feel like, you know, it's sort of plateaued? How, how much space is there for, for this era to, to compete with, you know, the attitude era or the rock and wrestling era? Right. The difference is it's, a you know, as people have said many times, it's a very different media landscape now. It's a different uh, entertainment landscape. And like, for example, in the 80s, when Vince did what he did with the expansion and rock and wrestling and Hulkamania, like at that time, you know, the wrestling business was wide open potential wise. It was just waiting for a Vince McMahon to step in and do what he did, quite frankly. And even the entertainment business was much more TV broadcasting, much more regionalized. There wasn't as much uh, kind of, there was a lot of local stuff and things that don't exist anymore. So I feel like you can't really expect or have that same type of boom period. Cause like you said, there is a ceiling, there is a limit to how far you can go. Uh, same thing in the attitude era, but I think more like what happened in the attitude era, I think the, the future right now for the company and it's happening really is not so much that they're going to expand into uh, media wise, something bigger, but that they are going or, or they can move further into the consciousness of popular culture than they are, because that is something where they definitely can go further. Like um, there's nobody as hot as they are right now, not even Roman Reigns in WWE, who is as much of a crossover star as Austin was, or the rock was, or, or even I think was. John Cena or right, even I mean, John Cena. Yeah. So that is kind of the frontier for them is getting more like cultural cachet and becoming more mainstream in the public eye. I think being in the company they're in now is a st step forward for that because, you know, there's going to be all this, as they call it in the corporate world, synergy and leveraging and all that junk where they really try to get their brands out in front of the public and make them as mainstream as possible. I think that's going to be one of the biggest advantages of this merger and things, but that's really where the future lies in terms of like growing this boom period, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember Solo, Solo Sokoa is another name that really took off and, and became an important Absolutely. player in, in 2023. And it's crazy that the, the last Raw of 2023 is headlined by the Creed brothers, you know? Uh, so it, it shows that like they're they're really you know getting behind some different acts. Um, it, as far as 2024 and and that trajectory and what the ceiling could be, um, there is every reason to believe. Uh, even though there was every reason to believe this year that that it will be Cody Rhodes' year, right? That 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 Cody finishes the story, and they they finally um, you know go with him as as the guy and uh, different than Roman Reigns who who has carried this company essentially as a heel. Um, in, in the last several years, this will be the, the first strong babyface leader of the company, um, at least since John Cena. I mean, they tried it with Roman and, and it was a colossal failure. He did. He did not work as um, the top babyface. Uh, but but what could a, a WWE led by Cody Rhodes look like? You know, and I was taking the same thing in, in, in terms of like that crossover uh, appeal. I mean, is he the kind of guy who shows up on? Jimmy Fallon in the Today Show, and 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 I mean, some of that doesn't even mean what it used to because they're all kind of in bed together. Or the equivalent of that. I mean, yeah. 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 I, I think 
honestly, I think he's tailor-made for that, which is why I've been hoping that they pull the trigger for so long. He he really is the perfect kind of good guy, hero, um, face of the company that you want to have, especially if that's the route you're trying to take. I mean, you can't ask for anything better, you know, as, as at least as far as what they have right now. He's the guy. I mean, he's a throwback in some ways. It's like you could see the full circle after the Attitude Era, which is that he's much more of like what you call a white meat baby face. He's not one of these like Austin types or like edgy, you know, he's a pure good guy kissing babies the whole nine yards. Nothing wrong with that. It's almost like in 2023, that's like a change of pace, you know, uh, from what you're used to seeing in wrestling. Um, I think it's a great thing. He's a great ambassador. You're going to have more of the hardcore fans that hate that because they want everything to be ECW. You know what I mean? But he's, um, I think he's, he's the guy. I just hope they haven't done harm, you know, by waiting so long, like we've talked about before. But if that's the way you want to go, and you want to replicate like the superstar babyface world champion that carries the company right now. He's your guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got another guy, obviously late in the year now with, with CM Punk um, joining the company, returning to the company. And, you know, he, he steps into the company right there with, with Cody and Romans as the, the, the top guy, you know, I think already, ahead of Seth Rollins already ahead of, of, uh, uh, so many of, of the top stars, um, in the company, um, looking ahead to 2020. And, and we can also, I guess, sort of evaluate how he he's been doing the last few weeks since returning. Uh, but how are you feeling about CM Punk and, and what could be in store for him in, in 2024? I mean, when you talk about Cody and, you know, one thing that I expect in 2024 is, uh, a Roman to be, and it's already happened here, but but to be less of a presence and and less of the focal point of the company, you know, WWE is maybe kind of turning the page, and and that means you know for for the last several years, when when you talked about big matches, dream matches, Roman was always part of those, right? It was Roman versus you know insert wrestler here. Um, I think they're moving away from that. Not that Roman won't be in the mix next year, but I think it's going to be. You got to kind of think up a new crop of, of big matches, headline matches, you know, to headline the, the stadium shows, all that stuff. Um, how does that, you know, how much of is, is Cody a part of that? How much is Punk a part of that? How much is them together is, is part of that? I think that's a good thing, too. I mean, uh, you know, like we had said, the Roman thing has been getting old lately. It's almost like we're almost beyond the point of saying it's starting to get old. I think it was starting to get old yeah. at WrestleMania. So um, now we're, what is it? Gosh, it's almost three and a half years. He's actually on the verge. If he makes it to the end of January, which I'm sure he will, um, he will surpass the length of Bruno San Martino's second world title reign, not the first, but the second one, which is the shorter one which is like there was once a time where even the thought of someone getting close to anything like that would be unthinkable. But Remember apparently when JBL made uh, right. like 11 months or something. And it was like a big deal. Right. In fact, when JBL made 11 months, I think at that point he had been the longest reigning heel world champion that they ever had because he surpassed Yokozuna. And I think, I think superstar Billy Graham, I, one of those two guys had the record. I mean, that's like, ridiculous now to think about but um no it's good that they have a landscape like this i think the stuff with punk 
again, like I said last time, it's like textbook. It's almost like they're intentionally trying to say, you see, AEW, this is how you actually do it. This is how you create the drama and the tension and make money and do business without losing control of your talent and having them legitimately go into business for themselves. And it's wild to me, not that I have to feel like I'm smarter than everyone else because I'm clearly not, but it's wild to me how easily people get taken in by some of these things. Like smart people on, on the internet are on, it's like, oh, Dominic Mysterio, uh, he, you know, he, he went into business for himself with that tweet uh, about CM Punk and, Oh my God! I, I I think there's he's starting the same kind of locker room drama. He's not going to last long in WWE, and I'm just like, how are you? Do you really do you really think that's what's happening? Like I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. CM Punk on Twitter he posted, you know, I've been waiting to punch this kid in the face since he was little or something like that, and then Dominic came back and posted, you know, a little gif of one of CM Punk's worst botches from AEW, like like swinging and falling on his face. And he wrote something like, please punch me like this, you know, <laughs> and it's like, right. you know, you know enough about WWE. These yeah. things do not go on there. Um, they go on in AEW. So if that's all you know, then you think, oh, well, it's happening all over again. But that that is not this is a much tighter ship. And I guarantee you that CM Punk, the Mysterio family, they all love each other. They've all known each other for many years. Um, I've been around them. And I'm sure that these are things that are all like, hey, guys, wouldn't it be awesome you do this, right? And then I do that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that'll be great. Let's do that. You know, this is the way it's actually done. Um, and anytime you have a situation in WWE where there's real drama, it gets locked down really, really quick. And it very rarely, if ever, gets to the point where it's even facing the public at all. So, you know, th again, this is like the way to do it right with CM Punk, to play off his history and his drama, but in a way that is controlled and part of the show. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed everything out of CM Punk so far. We're only a couple yes. of weeks in, but um, I, I think it's hit the right note. I think. And can know, I say something about that sure. before you go on? I'll, uh, uh, because I, before I forget, but I remember when we first talked about CM Punk two years ago when he came to AEW and it felt like you remember this, right? I mean, we talked about this when he came in, it was huge, huge, maybe even more huge than this. I mean, it was big because he'd, he'd been gone. gone he'd been yeah. gone for so long, but then very quickly, the two of us were just like, well, what is he going to do? What's happening? He just shows up every week. Like what they put him against people that, you know, he's not going to lose the, there doesn't seem to be a direction. The first time there was anything compelling was to my mind with him was the Eddie Kingston thing where it just felt like, Oh wow. Okay. This is, he might not win this. Whereas this with this, it feels like they know exactly what they're doing right from the beginning. It's not just, we got CM Punk. Okay. What do we do now? You know, there is, th this is a sense of like, we know exactly what to do. Yeah. And, and it, it, it feels, uh, big league it's it's the right person in in the right setting you know to throw out <laughs> another uh, uh, analogy i was just watching the other day um paul stanley from kiss like briefly like created like uh this couple years ago during COVID, like a a solo like soul music kind of uh, uh act and he's got like a you know a band with trumpets behind him you know I mean, it it just like uh, God bless him if it's something that he wanted to to pursue, but it it felt a little 
I don't know. I don't want to be insulting. Uh, if, if you liked it, you liked it. It, it. it it didn't feel like Paul Stanley. Then you see Paul Stanley with the the makeup at Madison Square Garden with fire behind him and, you know, 30,000 screaming fans or whatever it is and, and the biggest rock star in the world. And it's like, yeah, that that's the right setting. And it feels that way sort of for punk too. You know, it, it feels like uh, – it's corny. It's what he said, but it, it feels like he's home now. And, and um, yeah, I'm excited, you know, and I really don't have a lot of qualms about some kind of big blow up. You know, it, it, it doesn't even feel, could it happen? Sure. I mean, he's like a volatile uh, a personality, but I, I don't have a sense that, that uh, it, it's, it's imminent or anything like that. Do you assume he wins the, the Royal Rumble? I, I think he does. I think so. And I know it's one of those classic things of, we talk about how predictable the Rumble get sometimes most of the time yeah. where it's sort of like, well, we need to get this guy to this position. You know, people, therefore... The thing about having two belts though, is that right. it could be two guys. So it's either Cody or it's punk. And, and I meant that probably that's the, the last two guys in the ring. Right. And now you have, like you said, you have the two world titles so that even if you don't win the rumble, you can still challenge for the other one, you know, so you could conceivably see Seth and, you know, CM Punk, and then again, Reigns and Rhodes, potentially, like that could still happen. So yeah, I mean, but you know, I've said this many times, and I stand by it. Sometimes the most obvious thing is the right thing. Sometimes you give the people what they want. It doesn't always have to be a surprise or a twist or a swerve. I think that's very Attitude Era kind of thinking. Like, people want to feel good. And too often WWE has been guilty of not doing that, of saying, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do the thing you want to see. Yeah, There's nothing wrong with, even if you see the car coming from a mile away of, of you know what I mean? Of letting, letting it happen rather than just um, trying to be super clever. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you, you uh, again, looking ahead to 2024 and thinking about like marquee matches, you, we know we're getting Seth and Punk. We know we're, we're getting Cody and, and Romans Roman at some point. What are some other matches that that uh, pop up? I, I think Damon Priest is in the mix uh, uh, somewhere. Right. He still has that briefcase. I could see him be a, a big player in, in 2024. L.A. Knight still in the mix. You know, do, do we do we see him win a world title in, in 2024? I would think. Well, you know, once that belt is off of, of Roman, anything goes, right? I mean, you could put right. it on Cody and then have Cody drop it to, to LA Knight uh, some months later. So uh, there, there's a lot more uh, intrigue in some ways once that belt's off of Roman because, uh, again, it, it, as long as it's been on Roman, it really feels like it's going to take something so huge to get it off of him. Right. It feels like Cody is that that thing. Uh, but who knows? You know, are we here next year? Talking about Roman, you know, approaching whatever five years with the world title. Well, Sam Roberts put out this thing and he just like broke the internet a couple of days ago on his podcast where he was just like the whole theory of his episode was look, Roman is not losing to to anyone. Like to anyone on the horizon, nobody. And he broke down everybody, punk, Cody Rhodes, LA Knight. He was like, Randy Orton, he's not losing to anyone, like for any to anytime soon. Like this was his theory. Um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I really don't, especially now that they have the other world title. But I think another person in 2024 that I'm really hoping, and I, I keep harping on it, but he's one of my favorite guys, is Gunther. Because I feel yeah. like there is, not that he's, I don't think he's like face of the company kind of guy, but not everybody needs to be. But he's almost to me like the next Brock Lesnar. And there's so much... Um, potential they have built up so much like potential energy in him as this unstoppable mid-card champion but he is a mid-card champion 
that it's like, I feel like he's waiting to be unleashed on the main event picture. Like people, I think fans would be hungry for that. The idea of I am the most dominant intercontinental champion of all time. I've beaten everybody. Like no one even gets close to beating me. And now I want to be the world champion. Like that's a holy S moment. Like him confronting one Who? of the world champions, right? Possibly what, what's Roman. the move? I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you or from you do Roman, you could do Seth, you could do Punk, you could do Cody. I think Cody, maybe because Cody is that that white meat baby face. Maybe that's the 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 best combination. You know, you put the title on Cody, and and Gunther's the one to dethrone him some some months later. That would be the most satisfying scenario for the world title with him because I think that was a natural thing coming out of last year's Rumble. And I think a lot of people, including me, thought that was the direction because those two guys were the last two in there and, and Gunther had lasted the whole time and all this, um, that Cody was going to win the title at Mania and then Gunther was going to be waiting in the wings like, hello, remember me? Um, I think that is a natural. I also think even outside the world title, I, I mentioned Brock Lesnar, but him and Brock Lesnar would be immense, immense, because they've created something special in him. Uh, like you really, the, the fans really believe in him. Like he is like a force of nature at this point. And I can see that could, at Mania. Yeah, you could put him in there with anybody that's really big and they would buy it at this point. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's the first step. Is is uh, and that was a match people wanted to see last year, Brock and and uh, Gunther at WrestleMania, and and maybe that's um, you know the next step to to really push him as a, a top top guy. Well, let's spend a little time here talking about the the women, and we haven't talked about them as much in in uh, WWE, and and really when you talk about uh, a WWE and women in twenty twenty three, it's one woman, and, and and that's Rhea Ripley, and you know. There, there's such a gulf between her and whoever is is next. It's it's even hard now to kind of think like, what is that dream match at, at WrestleMania? You know, is it Becky? Is it is it Bianca? I, I think both have cooled off um, uh, a good bit, and and that's the thing. Because I was writing something about Rhea for the top ten stories, and as hot as she's been, and ha as dominant as she's been. She hasn't had um, since winning the the title a lot of marquee matches or or any. I mean, she's just sort of been like, and that not that that's a bad thing. She's just been kind of knocking down challengers, um, you know, whether it, it's Raquel or or Natty or or whoever. Um, but it, it certainly going into WrestleMania and even beyond, then it's like it does feel like you you, you need something. She feels like for sure um, capable of headlining a pay per view. Right, but but she needs yeah. um, the opponent, and uh, she's got one one fewer now with Charlotte uh, sidelined for for a while. Uh, but you know, B Bianca feels like a, a hot fresh match that they haven't done. They'd have to kind of heat her back up, and Becky feels like a special match. Yeah, you know, she's an interesting case. She's the kind of a case that sometimes can illustrate the glass ceiling of women's wrestling that still exists in the sense that. To me now, she's in that rarefied air of some of those women, China immediately com comes to mind immediately, but there's others who get bigger than the women's division. Like they transcend it there. Wendy Richter was that for like about 10 minutes where they're bigger than women's wrestling to the point where it's almost irrelevant who they wrestle, who they face. Like Rhea Ripley's one of the biggest stars in WWE, one of the most over acts, male or female. I think Charlotte has been in that type of a position before Charlotte Flair, but not to the extent that Rhea is right now. I don't think maybe she has, but that then it becomes that question, like you said of, okay, well then what do they actually do? 
because the reality, and I'm, this isn't my, I'm not just saying this is my opinion or how I think it should be, but as hot or as big as women's wrestling has gotten in the last 10 years in the United States, it's still secondary to the men's wrestling in fans' eyes. It's still a secondary part of the show. It's no longer like a sideshow like it used to be or like some weird added attraction. Thank goodness. It's much bigger now. It's a much more important part of the show. But it's not a it's not a 50-50 equal thing in, in terms of the presentation. So then when you get somebody like Aria Ripley, you almost feel like, how far can she go? There's only so far. And that's why I think they're smart in a way to not lean too heavily in with her in the matches and the opponents and make it so much about the opponents. Like other people, I think, have said this, and sometimes they miss the point of just like, well, you know, she's been a very forgettable women's champion. And it's like, by what metric? I mean, like yeah. maybe if this was, you know, a real sport or something, but it's not. You know, she's been an immense success, the biggest women's success story of 2023 to me. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they're, they're doing what they're doing with her for that reason. There's only so far sometimes that a woman can go in a major wrestling company just by competing for the women's title. Like there's no, there's a limit to that. You have to be bigger than that to really yeah, make. And, and I think that's one of the, and I think that's one of the reason, one of the things that, um, and I don't know how much of this was by design or sort of like a happy accident, but, but one of the things that I think has made her such a hot act and, and uh, a featured star is being in um, Judgment Day. So she gets TV time um, alongside the, the men. So, it's, it's, you know, they've always had sort of like, all right, this will be the women's segment. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, realistically, it's always relegated to a certain part of the show. She's opening raw, you know, on any given week or, op you know, or headlining raw, whether in a match or not. She She's part of the 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 most visible uh, featured uh, segments and angles in, because she's mixing it up with with the top guys uh, in the company. I think that's uh, and, and has held her own. You know, she, she's such a, a blast to watch. One thing uh, uh, looking ahead to 2024 with the, the women, maybe kind of an X factor thrown in there. Sasha Banks, right? Is, is there, uh, it, you know, I don't know how, how much people are seriously talking about it. She, you know, I think she's coming back in, in 2024 um, or maybe even earlier. I mean, she's already been teasing her comeback. Um, so it it should happen. There's a question of of where she comes back, and we've had these conversations about what's the best fit for people. Um, whether it was Will Ospreay or or some others, Nick Aldis, we talked about um, Sasha Banks, and you know, I'd like to see her back in WWE. You know, I I think sort of like what we saw with Cody. I think taking this this time away, she comes back as a much much bigger star, right? I mean, mm -hmm. she, she comes back and and uh, you know to a at the rumble or, or, or in, in a, a, a face off with Rhea or something like that. I mean, the place goes nuts and, and she instantly is a top, top uh, act versus, yeah, you can go to AW and you can have the five star match with, you know, insert, you know, or, or stardom or something and like that. You know, it's, it, it's like, I get her a part of it still motivated by, by the art, the craft, but uh, she's still young. You know, I, I don't think she's 30 yet. Um, and I think there's a, a lot for her to do in WWE. And I think that she seems to have made that realization, which is why we just have recently seen the, the story of how, um, you know, there were maybe plans for her to go into AEW and that kind of evaporated because I think, I think that's coming from her. It's certainly not coming from them. They're not going to be like, you know what? 
we don't really want you. Like that's something I don't think Tony Khan has ever said to anyone really. But I think, I think it's more her saying, okay, I got this out of my system. I did this thing. I went to new Japan. You know, I, I, I won the title there. I'm, I'm doing indie stuff and you know, I, I, it's just not the same. And I think sometimes people come to that realization. Um, I think Trinity even has that realization, but she's doing what she's doing right now. And, and I think she's going to kind of like see that through. But I think a lot of time people come to that realization of of nothing is quite like that. And so I think then it makes them miss the place and makes them want to come back, especially if they were in a position where they were doing well there. And yeah. they think like, well, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was, like that kind of thing. And also in the, in the modern age, that's how people get freshened up. You know, used to be yeah, you go to different territories. Cody, that's punk. That's, right. So many guys. Yeah. Now that's what you do. You you leave for a while. You know, how can we miss you if you don't leave? Right. The old adage. Mm -hmm. They leave, they come back and they're hot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hope we see that. Um, uh, last thing on, on WWE, and th this is maybe a good transition to AEW, the, the, the rumors of uh, a WBD, uh, I don't know, deal, but at least negotiation, that those conversations are happening once unthinkable. And it sounds like, there's really something uh, there. You know, first, I mean, there's so many parts of this. First, the, the notion that USA wouldn't keep Raw is is kind of nuts. Um, and uh, But they're getting back SmackDown. There's all kind of these moving pieces, NXT moving um, to CW. But Raw potentially on TNT or, or, or TBS, um, it, it's unthinkable. You know, the, the, the home of not just AEW, but of WCW. Um, it, it, it'd be kind of crazy. Do, do you see that potentially as a good move for WWE in, in that WBD now, now and, uh, WB Warner brothers discovery alone is such a huge property. And now discussions of potentially a merger with Paramount makes it even bigger. And WWE, uh, in that mix would, would be just huge. And I would think devastating for AEW. It would be not necessarily a death knell because the money is limitless for tone from the con family, but definitely the end of AEW as a major player on the stage. Uh, what, what I think though is um, this is, well, first of all, it's happened before, which I, which I love pointing out because this is, if it happened, it would be like the second black Saturday, 40 years later, because right. for people that remember or don't 40 years ago, uh, Vince McMahon took over the TBS time slot on Saturday nights. The famous 605 kicked Georgia Championship Wrestling off, World Championship Wrestling off, and put WWF on there. That was a total disaster, and they wound up selling the time slot to Crockett, and the rest is history. But um, it, history could definitely repeat itself. They're not above doing this. I know Vince McMahon isn't in charge anymore. But I have to say, and I am... Um, I'm so careful now because I put my foot in my mouth with the punk thing, but I'm not the greatest predictor. But the way I see it playing out is I don't see that happening. I, I think that this is all kind of leveraging to try to get the best deal. I think a more likely scenario might be that USA Network decides to pony up the money and decides to keep Raw. Like I'd be I'd be less surprised if that happened. The, the problem is money, right? Because like you said, USA Network is now getting SmackDown, which for some people, a lot of people view that now as as the A show because right. of Roman Reigns and the bloodline and everything. And it, it gets higher ratings being on Fox. It's not going to anymore when it goes to USA Network. That's going to change. 
because there's some people still even in this day and age who are just gonna who just plop in front of the tv and watch what's ever on network television there is a certain element of that uh it's easier to find but um i i don't think that the, the key is that warner brothers discovery has to be willing to pay that money that wwe is looking for for raw and when i see people that say well punk is the is the difference maker it's because he's there now i understand that and i do think that's a needle mover i do think it gets your foot in the door it's what got the meeting made i think the fact that hey look at what we got going on now this guy that you loved because we know that um they loved him they loved punk and AEW. right like the, the warner brothers discovery was pushing one for them to kill. keep him there yeah. right they loved him there but I don't know if any one person is enough for them to say, you know what? Yes, we'll pay the forty zillion dollars that you're asking for because of this one guy. Like that don't that seems a little far fetched to me. I could once again put my foot in my mouth. We'll see if that does happen. I don't know what's going to happen to AEW particularly because um, WWE always had that clause of the, the you know if you're carrying our show, there can't be any other wrestling on your platform. Um, I think even with the change in leadership, um, even without Vince there, I still think that something like that would be in effect. So I don't think AEW would remain on the networks if that happened. Um, and they might follow a trajectory like what happened with Impact, where you know they're on Spike, right? And then they wind up on like you know the Shoe Network or whatever the yeah. hell, like that kind of thing is not out of the realm of possibility, especially with a product that's not hot right now. Uh, ticket sales dwindling, ratings dwindling. Um, they're not going to have a lot of leverage. Like if they get dumped, they're not going to be able to go around and say, hey, we're, we're the hot commodity. You want to pick us up? They don't have that happening right now. So they're vulnerable. Yeah, and 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 that's what, what makes this a little more believable, right? So if you believe that um, Warner Brothers Discovery has been um, sort of like, pleasantly surprised with um the popularity of wrestling on their channels right and and they seem to like have given it the college try right i mean they they went from dynamite to to rampage expand expanded over to collision earlier this year so th they seem to be up for doing wrestling uh again and they've got this long legacy of wrestling uh with ted turner going back you know uh, so long uh but at the same time that like you're investing in in aw you know, you, you you see some of the numbers dwindling, and and you know Tony Khan AEW is going to spin it in in the most positive, and 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 not that you know they're dying by by any means, but it doesn't no. feel like a super hot uh, product. But you know they're they're relatively healthy, but you know so on 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 one side you've got AEW with these buildings that are, are largely empty and um, some some viewership numbers that are certainly disappointing especially for rampage and on the other hand as, as we've been talking about a red hot wwe product right that by any measure is uh doing really really well i mean year over year you compare all the numbers tv live attendance uh, uh merch all of it, it it's a, a super successful product um and and now even more so with the uh, the tko merger if you're warner brothers i mean it's like well if we're going to be in wrestling Let's go all in. Let 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 let's be with the top wrestling company. Why why do we want number two when we could have right. number one? Now, granted, number one it might cost you a lot more, right? And not having been in the room when it happened, I think it's safe to say though that um, that probably was the, the whole thesis of the meeting that was held because we know that 
that Levesque and um, Nick Khan, and I think there was some, there was a TKO executive. I forget who it was. I don't think it was, um, I don't think it was the Endeavor CEO. I can't remember his name, but um, Ari Emanuel. But I mean, there were important people in there with WBD people for hours. Apparently, the meeting went on for a couple of hours. So it was like a serious meeting. And you can totally imagine that being the discussion like, look, we know you guys. Uh, have AEW on your network and you've had some success with them and we would like to you know ne- we are the big leagues we are the real deal and we want to show you why we are you know you do business with us it's on a whole other level you've had some success here we are the industry leader do you want to be in business with the industry leader like that's a very easy hook you know to hang the your meeting on that kind of an idea and then it just comes down to money. Do you want to make pay the money? WWE, I do think if a deal would, have, would be made, WWE would have to meet them at a certain point. They would have to probably bring it down if you really want a sweetheart deal like that and, and to have the, I'm sure, satisfaction, and that would be part of it, let's not fool ourselves, of booting AEW off the networks. If you want that, you may have to take slightly less than what you were asking for. And I think that yeah. they would. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I know there's still time, um, but but I would have expected USA, NBC, Universal to make a stronger play here because Raw has been synonymous with with mm-hmm. uh, USA and that brand for so long. And and what is USA without Monday Night Raw? I mean, it's yeah, but the, they'll have SmackDown. The they'll yeah, have- that's fine. But or or you could have both, and and they've right. already you know gotten rid of uh, of NXT, which. You know, wasn't setting the world on fire, but but I, I imagine it's doing better than most of their their shows, and I don't think would have kept cost as much for them to keep. So, it you know, you sense like something of kind of like a cavalier attitude. And NBC Universal has got so much to to offer, and that's part of of um, what came with getting SmackDown. There's like four NBC, uh, I guess, quarterly specials. I don't know if they're Saturday night's main event or or what have you, but. Um, WWE is such an important part of that company. I think they take it for granted sometimes. But but how many Peacock subscribers are just WWE fans? I bet you it's a it's a good chunk, right? Because these yeah. are people who are otherwise paying seventy dollars for for a pay per view. Um, now you pony up number five, ten bucks, you get it. So, um, you know, again, and it's still early. They could still uh, make a play here. But but um, if if NBC Universal doesn't fight hard to keep WWE. Uh, I think they'll regret it. So uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, um, AEW and just sort of a weird year. On one hand, it's like the the largest paid live attendance in the history of wrestling, Wembley Stadium, eighty thousand, all that stuff. And there's a lot of stuff to point to that you know was was really great this year. You know, I think this is the year that MJF really came into his own as as a, a top guy and. Uh, one of these uh, uh, players who's, who's truly versatile can do it all. Now, really thriving as a babyface, uh, so a lot to like. They got Will Osprey. They've had some other big signings, but here in the end of 2023, like we've been talking about, it doesn't feel like a red hot product. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's um, it, 2023 was was also uh, the year that sort of like the. Um, the 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 I don't know what the 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 the, the, the metaphor is analogy is the, the the bloom is off the rose with with Tony Khan right I mean I think there's been like kind of a loss of confidence in in him being like the greatest Booker in in the world um, in in uh, this year so 
you know, what what is the state of AEW? What are the prospects of of turning things around in 2024? Or do they even need to be turned around because they're not so bad? They could just settle into, you know, people have said this is a different version of the company than what they started as. And we've even seen some people leaving because of that. I think that's why Cody left. That's why Punk didn't work out. That's why we see somebody like uh, QT Marshall, who, you know, was not a major factor on on the TV product, but behind the scenes was an important figure. People like that saying this isn't the same company. Uh, yeah. Creative differences. Yeah, right. People I mean, wanting to get out. And maybe they lean into that. Maybe, you know, it seems like they want to be um, the American New Japan, something like that, mm -hmm. like the American version of a Japanese wrestling promotion. Um, and if that's what you, you know, maybe that's where they see their identity. It's almost like they're saying, well, we can't become WWE. We can't play on an even playing field with them. We can corner this part of the market. We can cater to the people that want to see Ring of Honor, that want to see New Japan, that hate WWE that hate the sports entertainment style of things. And that'll be our thing. And you're never going to be the industry leader doing that. You're just not. But maybe you're happy with your piece of the pie. And and it seems almost like they are. That, like, that's just what they want to be. Yeah, uh, right. And uh, I guess the question is, you know, it, there's right sizing that, right? I mean, if, if you're going to be that company, is that a company that is on prime time on, on TNT right. and TBS uh, every week? I mean, what, what you're just, you know, new Japan's on TV every week, you know, and I don't know how many people watch it. You know, the, the, the point is that like, that is a, a much more niche product yes. than what the, the, the hope was for AEW, you know, and, and, and it was, I mean, the thought was that it was going to be the big two, uh, sort of like we had with WWE and, and WCW for all those years. Uh, right. I mean, it feels like AEW sort of contracting. And again, there's something of a contradiction when you see Wembley Stadium and, and some other metrics they, they've they had. And, and and they do really well on pay-per-view. I mean, they're still selling often, I think, more than 100,000 pay-per-views. Who, who's doing that? So um, it, by no means are they like, you know, uh, dead and buried or anything um, like that. Uh, but, but also... I don't know. It's, it feels like with AEW, and this is part of like you know Tony's kind of fault with with all like the big announcements all the time. But we're sort of always waiting on like the next big thing, and I don't see it. Right, right. But also then too, when you learn, as we have learned now, that they are losing money, that's concerning. I mean, um, you still want to make money, even you want to be in the black, like whatever you're doing. You know, at the end of the day, the re the revenue is not as important. This is like economics 101 as the profit. And yeah, the re the revenue is growing, which is weird because then it makes you think of God, what the cost must be. Holy cow, to, to be doing yeah. what they're doing. Because well, they're, the you know, they're showing how the revenue is growing like year yeah. over year. It has been. And yet they're losing money. Like, like WWE, I think, had one, maybe one, maybe two money losing years the entire time that Vince McMahon has been running the company and probably ever. Um, even in their worst years. So, I mean, like that's a concerning thing when your company is just bleeding money. Even if you're, you want to be a niche product, you want to be a niche product that is profitable so you can keep operating because yes, the cons are never going to run out of money. So it's not going to be like a bankruptcy. That's never going to happen. Right. But there could be a time where they just say, this isn't worth it anymore. Like this is just a loss leader. Why are we still doing this? Like that could happen at some point. 
and and it's sort of uh, and again I don't I don't know the, their economics that well I'm not, I'm not going through their ledgers but certainly you look at that product and it looks like a a company where um, the the spending has gone crazy you know mm-hmm. a, a gigantic bloated roster um, where they would seemingly you know there's not anybody that they won't bring bring in and and pay a healthy salary to. Of uh, half these guys aren't even, you know, Jeff Hardy. When's the last time, like, you know, Jeff Hardy was even discussed as as uh, like a, a major act? In, and they have so many guys like that all over the place. Um, that you know, if if each of these guys are making well into the six figures uh, or more, and in a lot of these cases, seven figures, like, where's that coming from? You know, who who who's paying all this? Three TV shows each week. Um, you know, it it just feels like they need to be right-sized, you know, that there is a, a, a place for AEW, but maybe they've gotten, you know, too big for the britches, you know, so to speak. Um, that, that and Anything else come to mind in terms of, you know, what were lasting memories of, of uh, uh, 2023, WWE, AEW, elsewhere? Boy, I don't know. I mean, I think we touched on so many big ones. There were, you know, the Cody Rhodes phenomenon and the, the CM Punk coming back to WWE were huge. The, the emergence of LA Knight, I thought was a big deal in the company, like creating a truly new main event star. I mean, yes, I know he was Eli Drake. I know he was Impact World Champion. I get it. But from a WWE point of view and perspective, a brand new main eventer, um, that these are all uh, good things. It's a healthy time, I think, for the industry overall. Even just the fact that there is a struggling number two promotion on major cable TV is something yeah. that we never had before the last, you know, three or four years. So it's a good time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah, we're getting TNA back and, and TNA. Oh, is, right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> and, and they're really doing the full court press here. I mean, they're serious um, in terms of like rebranding, relaunching their company. They're, and they're teasing some huge signing. And, and mm-hmm. this is also a story from earlier in the year, all the WWE firings. Um, are going to be available any day now. Not that there were any huge names in there. Um, so people have been trying to figure out wh- who they're talking about and they thought, you know, could it be Dolph Ziggler? I wonder if it's not Sasha Banks, you know, uh, in, in, in terms of like a, a, a tease that would match uh, the hype and Trinity's over there, right. you know, not not necessarily maybe for like a, a long-term thing, but does she come in for, you know, a half dozen matches a few months? Um, and I, and I they've done that a lot in 2023, and I thought it was really successful, whether it was bringing in Will Ospreay for a few months, bringing in Nick Aldis um, for, for a couple months. Um, I, I, I think it's a smart formula. They've helped get over their homegrown guys. Um, yeah, I think, t- you know, may, maybe kind of like a, a buried story, but but Impact or TNA um, had a really good year in 2023. Yeah, and they also have at this point strong nostalgia on their side. They've been around for 20 years. You have people now who 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 remember them like fully grown adults remember them when they were little kids you know that kind of thing that's strong if you were into it as a kid especially when they were at their biggest and hottest you know like say i don't know what like 15 years ago um the the people that were watching then there's a there's a strong fondness and i know this may not seem like the most important thing i mean i'm not you know i've never been a big action figure guy with wrestling but we just learned right this week, they're getting back into the action figure business, which I don't think they have since maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, like 2015. I'm talking about like real action figures, not like, you know, yeah. bendables and buddies and things, but like actual, you know, what we think of as wrestling figures they haven't done in like eight years. 
you know, you don't make moves like that if you're not serious about, okay, we're not going anywhere. We're growing our brand. We're going to, we're going to, you know, improve and we're going somewhere like those, those are the kind of moves you make when you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe in a little way, they're also benefiting from some of the AW's missteps in that if, if you're not a WWE fan and you're, you're looking for an alternative, um, they can kind of raise their hand and say, you know, we're still here. We're doing really good work. And, and in, in some ways we're, we're doing what AEW does as good or, or better in terms of uh, some of the in-ring stuff. Uh, Cause yeah, impact's just been great. Um, a, a real quick, just to touch on the other companies, Ring of Honor, kind of a non-factored, you know, there was, this was the first full year of Ring of Honor under Tony Khan's uh, management. And it's essentially been folded into uh, AEW. We just had what was supposed to be their biggest show of the year, Final Battle. And I used to go to Final Battle every year in, in New York. And it really was the culmination of like a, a, a year's worth of storylines and, and was where you had the big marquee, a match and there wasn't even i think was there a world title match i mean i think eddie kingston i don't even know who the guy needs. no it was a non-title match i don't know what they're doing with that yeah thing. It, it just, just it, it, it it just sort of seems like why, why are they keeping this thing around i don't i think that. i think the biggest obstacle they had was when um they didn't get it on a major platform and i do not believe for a second that having it exclusive to honor club is what tony khan wanted i don't believe that for a second because it's so limiting. It's like, I didn't watch Final Battle. And, yeah. you know, it's almost like people uh, com would complain about everything. So there was the complaint of like, well, and I, I I agree with the complaint of you can't have the pay-per-views separate from Honor Club because why would people get Honor Club? Because now you're asking for people to pay $10 a month for Honor Club and then have to purchase a pay-per-view, like four pay-per-views a year. So then they went and said, okay, yeah, we're going to fold the pay-per-view into Honor Club. And as a result of that, I wound up not watching it because I'm not an Honor Club subscriber. I don't feel it's worthwhile to pay this monthly thing, which is this, you know, equivalent to the WWE network price. And you're getting only four pay-per-views a year. And the rest of it is you're getting this quite frankly forgettable weekly product that ROH puts out right now, which is how I feel about it. Losing TV distribution has really hurt them. And I think that the way the TV show is booked, it's like, look, I cover this show every week. And it's like, it's just a bunch of matches. It's just like yeah, and 47 matches, you know, over the course of two hours. It's like, it's a chore. And it's been defined down by being, um, you know, lower card fodder on, on AEW, mm -hmm. right? So be because uh, those lines have been so uh, blurred, you know, those days of a Ring of Honor being its own thing and and going to final battle or, or, or watching Ring of Honor um, on HDNet or what have you, like they were their own thing. And even though clearly they were several steps below the, the true big leagues for Ring of Honor fans, that's as big as it got. But But when you see that, like, you know, Ring of Honor guys are, you know, thrown into battle royals or or lower card matches on, on AEW, then, then why would we get excited about a, a show that just features these guys? And and the only way, like, they even get people excited about Ring of Honor events is by bringing in AEW guys, you know, right? So right. Final Battle had uh, uh, Blackpool Combat Club and, and uh, it, it's just kind of a mess now, which sort of reminds me of, like, when WWE briefly... Um, wanted to uh, run WCW shows. Remember the the, the, the Booker T uh, uh, Mark yeah. Bagwell disaster. But, but you know what killed that? What killed their aspirations was they couldn't get TV. 
That's what killed it. They yeah. wanted they wanted WCW essentially to continue on the Turner Network. That was like their hope was we're going to just keep running it. We'll run Nitro. We'll do the thing, except we we own it now. And they were like, we're not, we just kicked that stuff off our network. We're not putting wrestling back on. And they had a very similar, they tried to shop it around and they had done such a good job of making WCW seem second rate and worthless that that's exactly what every media outlet thought. They were like, we don't want that. That's like uh that's damaged goods. And so when that's when they just, they said, oh, we just have to make it a part of our show. We have to make it a part of raw and SmackDown and the WWE product. And that's what sunk it and killed it. And they knew it. They knew it from the beginning. It yeah. was like a slow moving disaster. And that's what's happened with ring of honor is that that's how fans see it. If, and if you watch that show every week, the problem is the talent roster is so shallow. Yeah. It's just like musical chairs. It's like every week, it's the same guys wrestling each other in different combinations uh, you know, so many matches, but it just feels like we've seen this before a million times. It, I don't, it, it has very limited appeal, I think. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I don't know if they're doing it this thought. Are they still taping them at AEW tapings? Yes. Yeah. In front of like an empty crowd that's like right. not People there are for exhausted. It. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not there for that. You're no. right. Uh, it, it's just kind of a mess. And it's like 205 live, you know, <laughs> that's what, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a shame because, you know, we sort of never really got like more in ring of honor because, uh, they didn't quite die. They were sort of, there's been this sort of like zombie ring of honor. zombie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They are. For the last, whatever it's two years. Uh, but, but it's like now sort of becoming evident that like, yeah, those days are over ring of honor what it was for real is, is just um, a memory now. They don't exist anymore. Uh, uh, last thing, I think, uh, uh, because it's worth touching on international stuff, not that I watched that closely, New Japan being sort of the, the, the big brand, it, it, the, it felt like kind of an off year for them uh, too. They um, uh, kind of like rolled the dice with uh, a Sonata as their world champion, but by every measure, he hasn't set the world on fire Strange because they still have Okada. They still have a lot of these guys who are top guys. Naito, um, uh, Jay White, Will Ospreay. Um, but for, for some reason, they've hitched their their wagon to, to Sonata. And um, I don't know who's excited about Sonata. Uh, again, admittedly, I'm not the biggest fan. Maybe not the the the, the best um, commentator of this kind of thing. Um, I guess the other thing that is is potentially the biggest new japan story of, of 2024 is what happens to okada right i mean there's a lot of discussion of his uh contract uh coming up and and him potentially looking um for a change and there's been these little hints of wwe maybe courting him um you know any thoughts on that how how big an acquisition would would it be is the reality that most fans wouldn't even know. I mean, it, 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 it's, if if right. Okada comes in number 30 at the Royal Rumble, what's the reaction? No, I, I think very minimal. I think yeah. most fans, especially who watch that show, wouldn't know. That's part of the reason why I think he's more of a fit for AEW. I mean, it's almost laughable at this point, though, because it's like they have 40 million people over yeah. there. Uh, he'd get lost in the shuffle immediately, but it still feels like it's a product that's that where he'd be more welcome. I think he'd be uh, in WWE. He'd be a minor factor. I mean, I. But again, uh, stranger things have happened. I was amazed when they brought in Nakamura because I mean, I Nakamura is similar to Okada was considered yeah. one of the best in the world, but um, it was always questionable what his appeal would be in the United States. And while I think he hasn't had as much success here as he did there in terms of, I mean, I'm sure financially, but in terms of how he's seen as a star, 
Um, I think that's more the company's fault than his. I think that um, they could have done a lot more with him when they first got him. Uh, so, I mean, that is to say that, yeah, he could wind up in WWE. I just, I also recently saw, as recent as maybe yesterday, that I don't know if there is that much interest from WWE in him. It's almost like they feel like we're we're doing okay, like we're good right now. Yeah. You know, we're, we don't really need that. Uh, the upside is limited because, you know, that he could be another Kenta. I mean, look what happened with that. Yeah. I mean, that was because that was supposed to be the biggest thing ever. And far from it. So that's probably I, what they're thinking. I, I love Okada. I think he's fantastic. I do think him outside of that setting, and we've even seen it in, in AEW, it, it's not, the presentation isn't the same, right? I mean, he uh, fell he, flat. I mean, that was just like a, a big fart in church. I mean, sorry. Right. And if that's an AEW, but... I mean, how would that go over in, in WWE? I mean, there, there's, there, there's there's 11-year-old kids in, in mm -hmm. the audience who... Um, you know, got their little Cody Rhodes wrestling buddy. Um, they have no idea who, who Okada is. That's that's the reality. Um, but you touched on, I mean, it doesn't mean they can't make it work. They can't tell the story of, of how what a big deal he is, that he's the greatest wrestler. They could remake him. I mean, yeah. they've done it. They didn't know who Nakamura was either. And you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and Okada is 10 years younger than Nakamura, maybe something like that. So, right. Um, um, I think. You know, if if they're willing to put in the the effort, um, it it could be a worthwhile uh, investment, and they could help cement WWE as the place where stars are. I mean, and and you do look at that roster uh, right now, kind of going full circle to how we started the conversation, and it is loaded. I mean, th this is uh, WWE is filled with stars now. You know, and, and that wasn't the case for for a long time, but but they're also at the point where it's like, sure, we'll take another star. I would think. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Okada over there. Imagine some of the uh, yeah. the imagine Okada and Cody Rhodes. You can have a, a lot of great matches. Okada and, and Seth Rollins. I don't I don't really think it, it's going to happen. And there's also some of the issues with with Will also uh, go for Osprey in terms of having roots. Having uh, uh, I don't know if he's got kids, but he's got a wife. And um, that's another thing that maybe is a better fit for AEW because it sounds like they're a little more flexible in terms of letting a guy stay there flying right. and when less responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, you're less, you're needed less. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ryan. Uh, uh, anything you want to promote before we head out for the year? Oh boy. Well, I mean, there, there's my podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle, as I've talked about on here, suawpod.com. My 100th episode is coming out the holiday week, the week between Christmas and New Year's. So maybe around the same time. And my guest is Jim Cornette. So that was a big get for me. I had to work for about a year to to secure that. Thanks to Brian Lass for making that happen. But it was it met every expectation. I recorded it. It was phenomenal. It was great. Um, and that'll be out. And also, I want to mention, too, because we were talking about women's wrestling and and movies like The Iron Claw. There's a Mildred Burke movie that they're doing called Queen of the Ring, which comes out next year. And I was interviewed for a documentary that's going to go along with that movie um, on the women's wrestling of that era, uh, Moolah and Mae Young and all that stuff. So um, that's an exciting project. It doesn't have a title yet, but that's a project I'm involved in that should be out uh, by next summer. I'll be talking more about that. Exciting. You're going to have a, an exciting 2024 uh, and looking forward to it. Definitely looking forward to a new book, The Gorilla Monsoon book. Is that, do you expect that to be out in 24? Well, the, the manuscript is due in May. I'm, I will see if I get there, if I make it in time, uh, you know, with <laughs> uh, things being how they are, having to juggle everything else in life with writing. But I'm, I, the research has been done for a while now. I'm, I'm about, I'm up to chapter four 
out of out of 15 chapters in the book but i but that's deceptive because I, I haven't even gotten to his pro wrestling career yet so i mean like the bigger the biggest chapters are lay ahead so i'm hoping if if i hit that manuscript date in may i think there's a chance that it comes out by the end of 2024 if i miss it i think you're looking more at like an early 2025 book okay exciting stuff brian thank you so much another uh, year in the books always a pleasure working with you happy holidays merry christmas to you your family and certainly uh, all the listeners, we will see you in 2024. Before that, here's part two of my interview with former PWI writer and editor, Bob Smith. What so, was, um, uh, another thing I thought of, what, what was your favorite time in wrestling? I mean, when when you, uh, whether it was built up to a certain show or a certain angle, but but what to you during your time with the magazines was sort of the, the, the high point of your fandom? At my time with the magazines. Um... The high point of my fandom before I get to the magazines was 1980, the Zabisco. Yes, that's before I got to the magazines. About eight years before I got to the magazines. But that that's that's a whole other ball of wax. It didn't cost me money. I bought a thousand dollar VCR because I see it. I saw something coming. And I said I had to I had to record this. But in any event, at my time in the magazines, any event you're saying or any any happenstance or any feud? Well, you know, what was your favorite time to 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 be working there? What was I and I even think like 1991, you know, a year before I left, because I got to go to Memphis for a week. Okay. And I spent a week with Jerry Lawler. Oh, that sounds fun. And if I have to look back and, and choose a wonderful, exciting, revelatory insider week that was it you what know? was the access were, were, were you you know oh everybody knew who i was and they, they greeted me with open arms it was it was exciting to me because this was all lawler's idea mm -hmm. i had called him i was burnout i remember being burnout to a crisp and i said i want to go on vacation but i want to take a few days and i want to see wrestling i want to go to memphis i've never been to memphis. <laughs> go on vacation to go watch wrestling <laughs> i did i did i wanted to get away from it all by myself i just i did so i called jerry lawler and i said can you can i get a press pass for whatever shows you're running this particular week and he goes press pass i'll put you on tv let's run an angle so i did an angle where i was presenting <laughs> him with a picture of, of him with his old manager sam bass and his old tag team partner but here came Leatherface, who saw the picture in half, the the, the, the villain, right? And I'm I ran off because it was scary, you know. But um, but it was more than that. I got to talk wrestling psychology with Eric Embry. I got to talk the the state of the business with Jerry Jarrett. I got to talk to Bill Dundee. I got to talk to Tony Anthony. I got to talk to Tojo Yamamoto and Robert Fuller and young Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, and Dave Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Lance Russell was in the NWA at that point. He'd already left. But I'll tell you what, for a wrestling, first of all, I loved the wrestling studio show from Memphis. It was fantastic, Channel 5. For me to stand on that program where every wrestler you could think of was part of, highlight, total career highlight for me. I just... I loved, I loved Memphis studio wrestling. It still had that real feel to it. The fans were still really really serious about it and to me nothing will ever top that i thought it was just magic for me you you were in new york at the time and you were a new yorker so so how were you even was it through the magazine that you got even exposed to memphis wrestling we had that series of, tra of tape traders that we mm -hmm. traded tapes yeah. with we had a lady named emmy yates 
a lady named Emmy Yates in Atlanta, Georgia. And I don't know how, who set this up. I'm sure it was after every weekend. She would, uh, Joe Petticino in Atlanta had a six to eight hour wrestling block of all these different federations, all in one show, continental, Mario Savoldi, WWF, NWA, um, Smoky Mountain, on and on the list went, and Memphis. And she would tape it all, a one eight-hour VHS tape, and send it to us every week. We would send her the old tapes back. She'd send us another one. Send us, and I watched every frame of those shows. So I know everything about those shows because I watched them every single week. And not only that, some of the I think Portland would send us tapes. Calgary would send us tapes. You know, so I, I, I that's how I got to know Memphis. For the minute I saw that studio show, I said, "Oh God, this is great." I really thought that was the best wrestling studio show ever, because I, the first wrestling show I ever saw as a young kid at twelve years old was Championship Wrestling with Johnny Powers, which was Pedro Martinez's federation out of Cleveland and Buffalo, and they, it was a studio show. But this had the same flavor as that, and I just. Bang! That was it for me. Memphis was number one. My whole period with the magazines, I, I covered them. I loved, I loved the whole vibe of it. That's gritty, old school Southern flavor, and uh, that's what made it my favorite. And, and to this day, I think it's the best wrestling TV show I've ever seen. So, is it fair to say that outside of your your work day at the magazines at the time, whatever it was, nine to five, ten to six, there was a lot. Uh, of watching wrestling on on your own time, I know you mentioned again you were kind of like the indie guy uh, in in the magazine. So was it uh, going to shows on weekends, stuff like that? Absolutely, all over the East Coast. Um, whatever there was a good indie looking card, or there was a match in Connecticut. I think it was with Terry Funk versus Bob Backlund. I was there at ringside on my knees, shooting photos. You know, I I I went to a lot of indie. I was there for the formation of. Tri-State and ECW and you name it, you know, Bob Raskin and those other promoters who put on spot shows. I go to the spot shows with Mick Foley and stuff like that. Yeah. It was, it was like, ah, uh, you just, you're just bringing back a flood of memories. You know, it, it's like, yeah, I, I was living it, man. I was 24 seven wrestling for about a good five years. There's no question about it. I remember. I, I really lived it. And I really, I, I played myself really hard. I would go to places sometimes to cover it. Sometimes they just shoot photos, but you know, and I shot photos at the garden too. So I don't know what to say other than if you there was a job involved, I was there. Oh no, I never got paid extra. No, <laughs> that's kind of what I was getting. No, no, I never got paid. I had a salary. I mean, I thought the salary was fair that I had, but no, if I went, I would get expenses. Yeah. But I wasn't getting paid extra. Yeah. I didn't care. No, I know. I hear you. I mean, like I loved it, and I was. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel about wrestling and covering it now in PWI, but I'll tell you what: if I had that door flung that wide open, I was going to walk through it and go places. Yeah, same and thing. And, 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 and for me, and this is there's very much like a a, a mark quality uh, to this, but but to me, a lot of the compensation that I've gotten over whatever it's been, you know, sixteen, seventeen years with the magazines now is that I get to go to wrestling, right? I mean, that's that's the, the right. best part of the job is that I get to, to I'm, I'm hoping to go to SmackDown tomorrow night in, in Barclays, and, and um, that's, <laughs> you know, the, the highlight of, of all the stuff. So I agree. How, you, you mentioned Tri-State, and, and it brought back memories. How, how disappointed were you when uh, Buddy Rogers uh, no-showed that uh, that event? Because that was what they were building to, right, was was a Buddy Rogers. Oh, no. Do you remember? no Buddy, Roger, Buddy Rogers died. And that—that's why they didn't do the match, right? Was it? Wasn't he? 
Uh, right, that's why he knows showed because he died. <laughs> yeah, I, but yeah, is that yeah. right? Because I thought he knows showed for another reason, and then he died. So, so they. You know, they something I'm a little fuzzy right on it, but I know that. Yeah, I've always had it in my mind yeah, that he died. And that's why the match didn't take place. But that's not exactly true. I think you're right. No, the real thing that happened was Goodhart went out of business. That's what happened. Goodhart that's went out of business. right. That's yes. where we conflate it. So they Goodhart would have done the body healthies yeah. and decided to just call it cold turkey and cancel the whole thing, including the, his league. That was over. So I always conflate in my mind the fact that, that Buddy died before the match. I remember. Yeah, I mean, that's, huge surprise. ECW, that's, that's where it was at. It was That was the birth of ECW was Tri-State, yeah. really, when you think about it. Or at least, it's you know, Todd Gordon was a financial backer. So it was like, that's what it was. But, yeah, I, I was disappointed in that. I, I wanted to see that match, too. Even if it was 30 seconds, I wanted to see that match, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you know, another thing I've, I've, I've talked, uh, with, with Brian, uh, about, because, you know, we lost some, some great ones this year and, and superstar Billy Graham and, oh yeah, yeah, and Sheik and, and Terry Funk is that I, and I kind of think about it because I just heard today about a, a, a 99 year old world war II veteran dying. And, uh, with every one of those, you think like you're, you're closer and closer to that whole generation being gone. And I remember, uh, when I started working in uh, journalism, I I think there was still the the odd um, obituary here and there for World War One veterans, right? And mm-hmm. and it, they were down to just like a handful, and and obviously I, I mean I imagine they're all gone by now, and and that's happening with the World War Two veterans. And I sort of sometimes think about that with wrestling generations too. And you talked about, you know, your favorite time being that angle in, in 80 with uh, Zabisco. And I think about uh, uh, my late father and, you know, w- what he talked about being, you know, the, the best times in wrestling. And I remember him being a big Johnny Valentine fan. I remember him being uh, a, a fan of, of Buddy Rogers. And now, again, when, when you talk to fans even my age or older and, and they get nostalgic and they talk about the, the good old days, they talk about the late nineties and now sometimes these days they talk about the two thousands and there's even now some nostalgia for the 2010s. So when you go back, you know, certainly pre rock and wrestling to that, uh, seventies era, there, there are so few, um, fans even left, uh, uh, from, from that era. Is, is that sort of bittersweet to you that this is, and, and, and one place you see it is like when WWE does any kind of, um, a, a look back or like the hall of fame, these are names that never even come up anymore, you know, uh, as far as their contributions, you know? You know, you make a really good point. And, and yes, I think I get a little bit, it goes from nostalgia to a sense of loss because I have a really good steel trap mind. I don't know, maybe because I don't drink or did, never did drugs or something like that, but I'm, I just turned, I, I'm going to say this out loud. I just turned 65 in October. Okay. okay. I'm as active as I've ever been. And I still can think, and I can still remember a lot of stuff. I have a really, I'm thankful for the memory that I have, which is really good. And I just had last week, um, I interviewed Paige Von Hess Sutherland, uh, Kurt Von Hess in the national wrestling federation in 1970 was the first wrestler who ever scared me watching TV as a little 12 year old. So I got to talk to her and exchange. And I think she was excited talking to me because I actually remembered her dad. It wasn't just a name. 
You know what I'm saying? It was, I knew his stardom. I knew who his tag team championship partner was. It was Eric the Red. I remember where he worked. I remember he did this. I remember he did that. When you think of it, 1970 is a long time ago now. And just have memories of 70, 71, 72, 73 in my head. I'm thankful for it, but by the same token, I'm turning around. I'm realizing nobody else has those memories. You know, it's 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 daunting. I know a man who lived to 101 years old, which is a great gift. But one of the parts of that gift is your contemporaries aren't there anymore. Right. Once you reach that age, even when you're in your 80s, they start to go away. Or 70s even. So you know, it's bittersweet. I'm glad I have a good memory, and I'm glad there are some people around. I mean, but I, when I mentioned Kurt Von Hess, do you know who that is? Is that a name that I, 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 I heard right. the name, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, right, exactly. You see what I'm yeah. saying? To me, to me, he was a huge star because he's the first villain I ever saw. But find me six more people who know this. You know what I'm saying? It, it's yeah, like, and, and the bigger shame of it, you know, there's just a reality that there are going to be fans that you know grow up and and grow old and and aren't won't be around for that. But I think like the bigger shame is that. They're sort of lost in history, and and I don't know that promoters and by promoters that were really talking WWE and Vince McMahon don't acknowledge that much. You know, whenever there's a discussion, a, a, a countdown of the top ten greatest of this or the top ten greatest that, or or what the Mount Rushmore is, it, it feels like they start at Hulk Hogan, right? They they start at right. the mid and and there's not even a consideration for a Mount Rushmore that would have a Bruno San Martino in it or, or a Buddy Rogers or, or what have you. And, and I don't even know. I mean, I think among most fans, it's not, um, you know, malicious or anything. They're just, they, they just don't know it. They don't it's remember. Not. But a Vince McMahon does. And, but, but you, you, you wouldn't know it from the TV product. Well, you know, here's the thing. It hit me really hard this year when Jerry Jarrett died, the former promoter in Memphis influential guy every time we lose somebody like that we've lost a lot of guys like that this year superstar graham terry funk these are the guy who knew the psychology of wrestling going back all the way to the 1960s okay and every time we lose one of these fellows or, or women we lose a little piece of that history and we lose the lineage and we lose the opportunity to educate young fans and young wrestlers and young promoters about what makes an effective he heel face feud TV show organization. You know, it goes right down the line. That's what bothers me. I, 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 one of the reasons I started my silly little podcast, the outdated wrestling hour is because I don't want people to forget these things and these people. And conversely, I don't want, I want them maybe to learn about bits of wrestling psychology. They never considered like, I don't like your wrestling you used to watch. It's just squash matches. Who wants to see that? Well, there was a psychology to the squash matches. They weren't just a big guy beating up a little guy. They were working their way to a title opportunity. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, um, it, uh, TV had TV wrestling had a, a had a theme to it. You were beating these unheralded young wrestlers in a, in an advance to get title shots up the road. Wins and losses used to mean something. Now a guy approaches the ring and goes, I don't like you. Get a referee. Right? <laughs> right? Basically. You know? So, yeah. again, there's a psychology about everything that went on. It wasn't just a squash, squash match. Blood wasn't just to show gore. You know, blood would use judiciously could 
rise a crowd into a fever pitch because they were really upset that their favorite wrestler just got busted open. Yeah. Now it's almost like a polite greeting. <laughs> yeah. Bang, you know, it's, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I just, I want people to remember the stars of yesterday, the, the federations of yesterday, because that's how we got here now. You know what I'm saying? And it's all part of the lineage. And the, the thing about wrestling is the WWF on their televisions has traditionally, going back to the 70s, done a horrible job talking about the past. They never do. Have you ever noticed that? They well, rarely now, do. They rarely you know, do unless it ties into something that's going on now. Right, right. Again, I feel like, and, 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 and I think that, you know, what that point is moves. But, but for a long time, it's like there was wrestling didn't exist before Hulk Hogan. Um, and, right. and then I think we, we moved past that. And, and now there's even kind of very little mention of that eighties era. And now the nostalgia, uh, not even the nineties. And now you see like all this kind of romanticizing of, uh, what they call it? The, the ruthless aggression era, which is like early two thousands. That stuff was bad. Right. I mean, that, that was a, a, a bad time and, and wrestling business was down and, and the creative was really bad. But there's a generation of fans that are now in their, you know, 30s or, or 40s that look back fondly on that because that's what they, they grew up on. And that's always going to be the case. And that's why I do think it's important, again, mm -hmm. as much as you could be nostalgic, to try to kind of look objectively at, at wrestling and, and what is good and, and what is not so good at, at, at any given point. Um, have, have you uh, checked out... Um, Billy Corgan's NWA at all for for a while there they they yes. were on the nostalgia yeah and, I go back and then they I, I go back to when they I go back to when they did Power on YouTube in two thousand or before two thousand and I was rooting for that I thought they had a great lineup uh, LA Knight yeah yeah Under no, Rosa you know yeah. it's going on the line you had you had guys that weren't on a national stage much like Nick Aldis and uh, Tim Storm and they looked great. And Camille was fantastic and a bunch of them. And then the pandemic took the wind out of their sails for a better part of a year. And when they came back, it just they wasn't the back. same. What they're doing, what they're doing now, I have no earthly well, idea they, what they're, they're trying to do with this. Tyrus game. route, whatever, a year plus with, with Tyrus, uh, the belt on Tyrus because he was on Fox News. And, and you know, I think they'll, Corgan will deny that that's what it was about. But but I, I kind of wouldn't buy it. And, and I, I get it from the standpoint of like, you know, the guy's got millions of viewers on, on TV every, every day. Do something with that. Uh, but they they never got back to that. And, you know, I, I don't know how successful. I mean, I think for Nostalgia Buffs, it was uh, a blast. You know, there, there was a while there in, yeah, 2020, 2019, 2020, where it was my favorite thing to watch every week. Um, and yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And it was a lot of. I, I, I just. Yeah, they, they, they did the, the 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 throwback stuff and also weaved in kind of current stuff really well. I mean, even things like the way they they worked in the Rock and Roll Express and Jim Cornette. I know he got a yeah. double over there, but but it was, um, I thought it was a really good balance. And and actually, I think, you know, it's become clear that that maybe that wasn't that much to do with Billy Corgan as much as it was some other people who aren't there anymore. Maybe that's true. Uh, all I know is I'm vastly disappointed. I mean, look, I, you know, I, I still look at it when I have an opportunity to see it, uh, any aspect of it, but they ran this cocaine angle, which made no sense. 
and at the pay-per-view and which was I, I did i hear right that that got something like 200 buys nationally i i don't know can i believe it sure <laughs> yeah you know there's the talk that they're yeah i mean talking with cw so the the talk the talk of the cocaine angle got far more press than anything that the wrestlers did and there's a you know you got a problem when that's the case right that i'll leave it at that i mean they're they're so unfocused it's just unfocused and they have a lot of people if you want to get on a national stage i hate to say it, they don't have enough people there that deserve to be on it i hate to say that but it's true uh yeah i don't disagree i mean i i do think it's tricky in that there are like the 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 indie darlings that that people talk about um, and the reality is that like the, the, the best of them are going to get to a certain level and then they're going to get snapped up by the AWs of the world or what have you. Uh, and so you're kind of, you know, you're, you're in this sort of uh, complicated situation where you, you want your guys, you, you want to find indie talent that is worth putting on, on television and showcasing. Uh, but if they're that good, they're going to be taken away. Uh, so I actually think impact does a really good job now back to TNA, um, uh, of, of identifying these people that weren't necessarily on the radar of, um, uh, an AEW or a WWE, uh, but have something going for them and they find these guys and, you know, they'll, they'll treat them like stars. This is the, the new impact, the post Dixie Carter impact whether it's people like Ace Austin or Chris Bay, which were names that when I first saw them on Impact, and they treated them like stars right away and were telling us these people are a big deal, even when the reality was relatively few people uh, knew them. So I think Impact's actually done a, a terrific job there. What, one thing, we're, we're getting to the hour mark here, another thing that that I thought of looking at these magazines that, that I never uh, noticed before was that, at least for a period here, Outside of uh, your columns, and you'd have a column, and and uh, uh, Bill would have a column, and, and other writers, the the, the feature stories, the the uh, in the the magazines didn't have bylines on them. So, so wait, here, wait a minute, hold the phone. Yeah, they did. Not a lot of these didn't. Uh, as really? Far as I, can, um, yeah. I know that. Let me. Late seventies, late seventies, early eighties. They didn't even, but I think with the advent of PWI, they started putting byline. I always got a byline, and so did everybody else. I'm so I'm confused as to what you're looking at. All right, so I'm just randomly opening. What's the issue? This is December '88 Inside Wrestling. So this was probably what around August. You're putting this together, right? Here's right, right. Continental Catfight, Bambi and Lady Mystics, Dirty White War. <laughs> That's a and, good headline. Oh, I love it. And I just went through the whole thing, and there's not a name on it. But there. how about the feature? How about the article articles, though? There was no bylines, really. It depends on them. But I mean, look, this. So here's a yeah. That's a that is a feature, and there's there's no byline on it. Uh, and others wouldn't either. Here's another one: the parts of pain, who they are, and why you can't trust them. And there is no byline on it. I don't recall this. Complain then. Let's reach out to Stu and give him help for this. Yeah, yeah, he's got enough problems <laughs> as he does. And, and it's a lot of them. And and you know, I I wonder what that was uh, about. Well, so I was going to ask you what your thoughts were uh, on it, and and you know, I really I don't recall it. I always recall getting bylines for my writing, and uh, I sh I shouldn't tell this out of tale story. 
I remember writing whole issues and sprinkling other people's names on the articles. <laughs> really, seriously, yeah. when we got really busy, you know, I would mix up the writer names and it didn't really mean anything to any of us. Eddie Rodriguez wrote this, Bill Apter wrote that. But well, I wrote it. I, I was going to ask you about Matt Brock and 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 Matt Brock and and, and, and Matt and, Brock is Matt Brock is alive and well and it's on the uh, the podcast that's out right now. Is that right? Yeah, you that's right. for the recent PWI. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> but but it is and 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 now acknowledging that that you've written under other people's names. Yeah, I even found some um, stories in here written under wrestlers. Uh, uh, Bylines. There's this, uh, a story that I found that that Sting wrote, and obviously all the the interviews and stuff used to be um, done that way. So, how much work, or, or how how seriously would would you try to capture somebody else's voice when you'd be doing something like that? Mick Foley gave me the greatest compliment about my writing that any wrestler ever gave me. He said, "You really capture my voice." Yeah. Because I'd I'd hung with him, I'd seen him in the Indies, and I kind of knew who he was and what he was about. He goes, "I says this reads like I said this." That was the greatest compliment you could have given me. Because we let's face it, we were kayfabe right and all left and right. I love being I love being Matt Brock for a while. Um, I I don't know about Liz Hunter. I don't. My, for some reason, I never got involved with Liz Hunter. I don't know what Liz Hunter was all about. I don't think she was much in the magazines when I was there, but she was. So I can't say she wasn't. I think she contributed to the most recent uh, women's 250 list. Did she really? Wrong. That's that's awesome. That's great to hear. She's still out playing her trade. That's great. No, listen. I don't know how you feel, Al. I loved my job. Hmm. I I just you know you say we're wrapping up. I I just want the world to know that I was the luckiest son of a gun from Catskill, New York, coming down to the big city and joining a national magazine company like that, which led to a I, I was in publishing until April, 2021. I mean, I, all that time I was in magazines and periodicals and I even worked with books for a while. That job kept me going. What I learned at PWI and the newspapers that I worked at before that just kept me going all those decades. So uh, it was a magical time. The, like I said, the only really bad day I ever had was when Stanley Weston walked in and goes, I'm selling the Nick Carabots and, Kappa Publishing in Pennsylvania. There's a job waiting for you if you want it. And I wanted it, but I couldn't go. Oh, Isn't that yeah. terrible? It's just terrible. Yeah, but you know no. what? If that's, a, if that's the worst thing that ever happens to me, I, I made up pretty lucky. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's all worked out. You know, I, yeah. I kept writing, you know. I worked for WCW for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, their magazine with Colin Bowman was the editor. And I worked with Sandy Krebs at Wrestling's Main Event and for After at WOW. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kept going until I got burnt out, you know. At one point, I did get burned out on. I just said that's enough. I'm not there yet. Uh, <laughs> no, but here's here's the thing. You know what? I needed the respite because when I came back, when I did the Arizzi podcast in 2021, and the one that I started this year, bam, I'm back. You know, it's like the thing that amazes me. And you're going to find this out too, Al. People are going to remember you years from now, decades from now, over the work you've done recently. You yeah. will find it phenomenal. Don't do what I did and put it in a sock drawer. Keep it going because you know what? People value what you do. They love PWI. Just wear that badge of honor with pride. Don't yeah, walk away from it like I did because it's it's like you will find out decades later how much it meant to people. Yeah, I, I actually a, a little anecdote from from earlier this week, and it was a pretty hectic week in in my day job. 
um, this week. Uh, in there somewhere, I took the time to interview Tony Khan uh, uh, because uh, they've got a show coming to Long Island, and, and I work in the media in, in Long Island. They're looking to promote, so I talked to Tony Khan, and, and they were talking to me in my capacity working my day job, and I mentioned to him, um, I'm also Al Castle for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and this meant so much more to him than than my other job, and it it's fascinating that like that that resonates. It's like oh, like that's that's a thing to some people, um, and and it is, you know, and that's great, you know. Well, I understood it at the time. Like I'd be at Madison Square Garden covering a show, and I was not supposed to be there because we were kicked out by the WWE. But people knew who I was, and they would approach me for autographs at the Garden. What what is Bob Smith? Doey Bob Smith doing signing autographs at Madison That's Square Garden. I mean, it wasn't like there was a an, an internet or podcast or YouTube or even your face in the magazine. No, I'll tell you what, the Vladimir's of the world and the the super fans knew who you were when you yeah. walked in. They they would spot you at twenty paces. Mm-hmm. But the, the the fact that people remember this stuff all these decades later is the biggest shock I've ever had in my life, and I'm so grateful for it. Because, sure. like I said, when I sit here talking to you, I'm your age. Mm-hmm. I haven't aged all these years. It's it's bringing back a conversation like this brings back these memories that are so good and so vivid. And I like to have an interview from someone like you because you shook shook my memory a little bit on a couple of these things. He did a nice job helping me remember stuff. You see what I mean? It's it's only when someone else brings it up that you can really push it out of you and remember little facts and figures. And it's it's amazing uh, to have that opportunity to still talk about this stuff all these years later. No, and and I love talking to, to guys like you and and going, you know, again, preparing for this. I wanted to find our original uh, uh, conversation. So I was scrolling through all the PWI podcasts. And again, there have been 227 of them. And it had been so many years since I even thought of some of these episodes. I'm like, I interviewed this guy, I interviewed this guy. And, and it really is, you know, I pat myself on the back, a, a, a who's who of like wrestling names. Um that we've had here uh, on the podcast by far my favorite are talking to you or Craig Peters or Bill or George Napolitano um all the people uh, uh you mentioned who was the, the the old art director for for PWI oh Ken Morgan and he was so great I remember you know one of the wait one well of hold the, the phone you had you had Ken Morgan on we had Ken Morgan on, and one of my favorite you anecdotes that he gave found me was, him. Oh my gosh! <laughs> he told me about him, you know, freehand drawing the PWI logo, and he said if you look at those early magazines where it used to be in in a frame, so you had the PWI uh, a logo at top, and then the the main photo would be kind of in a frame. Uh, that if you if you see it closely, the, the line is is very imperfect. It's not perfectly straight. Because he freehand drew that, and that's just so fascinating to me. Stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I, we I, talked I about this, we talked about it. I had, I had Craig Peters on early in the podcast, and I the first thing I did was give a tip of the cat. Uh, tip, excuse me, a tip of the hat to Ken Morgan because he was as big a factor as any of the writers were in the success of those magazines. You would hand him an article with some photos and a headline and some captions, and he would nail it. Every time you didn't have to think about it, it was the right vibe, the right font, the right feature, the right color. He was a genius. Hulk Hogan's yeah, I mean, even the, you have to make you, you, yeah, you look at those covers, just the use of certain fonts, the use, the use of headlines, 
And you didn't even have to think about it. You just handed it off to the art department. They would come up with the great work that they did. So I've always extolling his virtues because he was as big a part of the success as anybody else was there. Ken Morgan and his whole team there. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And if I could transform this into a plug, we are still doing great work. And, I, and, and honestly, I don't say that, but I just got yes. the latest issue in the mail. And I love this cover. Fantastic. And actually, for the first time in, in, in years, visited with the PWI folks uh, a few weeks ago. I drove down to uh, the mothership uh, in, in the Bluebell and, and sat down with our, our, our director, Laura, now and um, still doing great work. So uh, as much as like I absolutely nostalgia, like one of the cool things also to, to remind people, yes, we're, we're, we're still at it. So and, and that's a really cool thing, right, that, you know, this magazine that's got its lineage back to the 70s or even I mean, I know. I, one of the coolest things I got to do was interview Stu, Craig, and Bill on the 40th anniversary of PWI a few years ago. And now that was four years ago, something like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. We're still going. It's funny how things are coming full circle. I just got together with Craig Peters in Manhattan. We saw a Broadway show together. I haven't been in the same room with him probably at that point about 20 years. Wow. So it, it Doing this silly little podcast that I do has been so healthy because I'm I and I saw Bill twice in mm -hmm. this interim since I started this year. So it's just been exactly what I needed. It helps you get back in touch with my old compadres, you know. And I get to talk to people like you who are carrying on the tradition, my friend, and you're doing a great job. And I plucked my 999 down. I'll have you know the other day to oh. buy my copy of PWI. So Right aid, my friend. Right aid. <laughs> I was just happy to see a newsstand anywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to see a newsstand anywhere. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, there's there's still uh, the Hudson News of the world, and you still whenever I'm in in my local King Collins supermarket, I find uh, a PWI. I'll always open it to my column, and I will leave it open <laughs> on the stand for. <laughs> Oh, you know what though? I, I impressed somebody once when I was with when I was with London and I dig this. I think you told me this I story. Just left, I had just left full time and I was working for another magazine company freelancing for a third one. And I walked into a Hudson News and I said, Ed, watch this. One, two, three, four, five. I think I counted 17 national magazines where my name was included. That's great. All at the same day at Hudson News. Am I that prolific anymore? Nah. <laughs> I had more freelance than I knew what to do with. Doing all that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you, sure. <laughs> As I no, nobody, that, Nobody that freelances gets filthy rich, but I will say this. Some things are more important than money, my friend. No, I agree. You know, that, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure you take a great sense of pride in what you're doing, right? and you should, because you carried on that tradition. And and they think, you know, like, I'm never doing that. And, and you know, maybe they can't have the most expensive shoes or, or the fanciest vacation, but you try to. One, one of my editors um, in my other job, I remember telling uh, me something the last, and he said, uh, we get paid in fun. <laughs> and it's sort of true. And now that I'm, I'm kind of getting older in, in this business, I think I'm, I'm, uh, and not just the wrestling stuff, but my, my day job, I'm appreciating more and, and realizing that this stuff is fun. You know, today, yeah. you know, I was about to, to uh, visit someone in a hospital uh, this morning and parking my car, when I get a call, I got to jump on a train to Manhattan for a press conference. And mm -hmm. it was 
where's the nearest train station? Got to find parking, jump on a train, get over there, sit for the press conference, quickly file a story, jump on a train, get back, finally do that hospital visit, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah. five hours later. And it's exhausting and it's also sort of invigorating. And, and that's what we do. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you guys can't see me, but I'm rubbing my hands together because you know what, guys? I'm going to do a commercial here. Al Castle is going to come on my podcast. And I'm going to grill yeah. you about the day in the life of a current PWI staffer. And I need the truth. It, it, the, the public needs to know what it's like to work for PWI today. And it's a little different than even, ironically, until not too long ago, it wasn't that different because we both worked for the same guy. In, mm-hmm. in Stu Sachs, but yeah, there, there's a, a new sheriff in town and, and Kevin McElvaney. I know how well you know uh, Kevin. Um, I actually, you know something? I, I, I was doing a blog a few years ago and I needed a picture of Baron Mikel Cicluna. So I called the office. I said, you know, could I could I buy the rights to use one, you know, on one time? Yeah. So he helped me set up the rights for the, for t- it wasn't even all that expensive. And we, we took a liking to each other. And I think this is how you and I are talking yeah. right now because I was talking to Kevin recently. So, um, no, Kevin's doing a fantastic job. I, I think they picked the right guy, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and he's, and uh, it was, you know, we've talked about wrestling evolving, and I think that also has gone with the magazine. And I think Kevin makes sense in that evolution. When when you think of that uh, that graphic of, of the gorilla that turns into the upright man, right, right, right. <laughs> Kevin is, is somewhere in the middle of there. <laughs> oh my god, an important cog, you know, in in kind mm. of like graduating um, to to where we are now. And and I do think, you know, there were so many things. And we could talk about it more in, in, in your podcast, but, but there were so many things that were just like, you know, steeped in tradition in PWA for so long, you know, and like the world title thing, right? Like, you know, and, and Stu was a big stickler, like, no, there could only be whatever it was. At some point, right. there was one world title and it was such an exclusive club. And then when Kevin came in, he kind of blew all that up, you know, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, me having come up, you know, working under Stu for whatever it was, 15 years at the time, it was sacrilege it was like what you know we can't yeah, my in my era my era we had three you know who they were yeah awa wa yeah yeah even though you know the end of the awa era was sad and pitiful to watch them fade away but they were still a world championship larry zabisco was the last champion so and that's how i came up was like that those were the real world titles so even when i remember when ecw got world title status as a as a fan at the time being kind of uneasy about it i was like really Especially when, like, I remember Steve, th- this was always, like, my cutoff point was when when Steve Carino became world champion. And thinking, Steve Carino's no world champion. No, oh, there was. Well, I just saw a signing autographs near here. But but I remember thinking, like, come like, we got to draw the line uh, uh, somewhere. Uh, but, you know, Kevin took a, a different uh, uh, take on, on all of that. And, and yeah, now it's kind of wide open. Now, if there's one thing that's wrong with today's wrestling, I'll use my old man voice. If there's anything that's wrong with today's wrestling, there's too many belts. Yeah. You have guys who, who only work one VFW hall every six months who have world championship belts now. Come on, guys. Please call yourself an organizational championship. Don't say world. Who are yeah. you fooling? You know what I'm saying? It's well, ridiculous. Go on Facebook. Go on Facebook and look around. It's like everybody's got a belt. Yeah. It's crazy. I think all those guys work more than Roman Reigns does. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true too. That's a good point. 
That's a great point. <laughs> yeah. Who's wrestled with like a half a dozen times in the last year. Anyway, we're, we're, we're close to the hour and a half mark and I could do it all night. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's oh, and, But we will continue. That's a fun part. We'll be able to continue this conversation in a couple of weeks. Yes, this is part one. And please give my regards to Brian, who I have the utmost regard for and for yes. Kevin and everybody there. I, I am still all of your biggest fan, even though I'm 106 years old. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> and, 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 and before we wrap up, we'll tell people where they can find your podcast. Oh, everywhere. Spot. We, we even three weeks ago, we made our debut on YouTube, regular video YouTube. You get to see my ugly face for, I do the same thing Cornette does, only I don't have a funny cartoon. I just use our, our, our broadcast placard. It says the outdated wrestling hour, all new, all old. So, you know, it's, that's <laughs> me right that's next to it. And, and, um, it's, it's doing fine. I just figured I had the opportunity to put it on YouTube. So I did. And, We'll see if anybody watches it that way because you'd still listen to it. You know, I have no yeah. interest in doing an uh, uh, audio or video podcast, but in any event, it's at every single podcast application I can think of. I, if there's any I'm missing, I can't, I don't know what they are. We're yeah. even on like Samsung News and, and <laughs> Odyssey, and and which is a CBS run thing, and and all this other stuff. It's uh, we're everywhere. Uh, not hard to find. If you want to find me, come to Facebook. I'm B Bob Smith, and you see me singing with BB King on the lead page because that's one of the reasons I left the wrestling magazines. I, I became a blues singer for 15 years and got on the road. But one of my great moments is I got to perform BB King 10 times, and you can see it for real on my Facebook page. Wow, what a thrill! Excellent, Bob. This was such a pleasure. I can continue doing this uh, and looking forward to do, uh, doing that in, in a couple. Yes, weeks. in a couple of weeks we're, we're going to talk again. And again, just thank thank you for having me on, and thank you for carrying Anything. on the tradition, man. It's important. Excellent. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you.